Che Diaz, for the most part, with the exception perhaps of the little hospital conversation that they have, is mostly purely talking about their identity over and over and over and over again. Welcome to Cringe Watchers, a podcast where we invite our expert friends to binge watch TV and talk about sex. This episode, we talked to River Butcher and asked, does non-binary representation have to be just like that? Layla, are you binging or cringing? I have been uh, cringing at the fact that we only get one hero or one person in the in popular zeitgeist who can represent a non-binary identity at a time. And I, uh, in seeking out new content, have started to watch the new show on Netflix by uh, Jonathan Van Ness, JVN of Queer Eye, called Getting Curious. And there's an episode about uh, whether or not we can say bye-bye to the binary and uh, one non-binary trans character. And one of the people who Jonathan talks to is a Loke Van Medden, who is someone I really admire and whose book I really want to recommend. So this is a cringe, but actually it is recommending that you binge a Loke's book and buy it. It's a cute pocket. It's almost like a zine. It's a really cute book full of uh, a lot of uh, very important information. Every sentence is quotable. It's called Beyond the Gender Binary. It's very affordable. You can get it on their website and I highly recommend it as an accessory and a good read. Love that recommendation and love the combined uh, binge and cringe that you have going on. And I might try to follow suit because I am both binging and cringing Black History Month content right now. And I just can't get enough of especially corporate attempts to relate to the Black community in this, our shortest month of the year. Of course, the classic in this genre is the Gushers tweet of last summer, which read, quote, Gushers wouldn't be Gushers without the Black community and your voices. We're working with at Fruit by the Foot on creating space to amplify that. We see you. And this has become an instant classic. It's been memefied left, right, and center. And I think it expresses why, you know, both I love and hate um, Black History Month because, you know, it does inspire people to stick their head out and take a look at, you know, give the Black community the attention that we deserve all year long. But at the same time, it leads to just so much cringe. And we all know how sensitive I am to cringe. So this Black History Month, I'm on the lookout for, you know, corporations trying their best and kind of epically failing every time. That is amazing. And I do I do appreciate the non-intentional humor in those epic fails, though. Thank you for sharing. We are talking about Just Like That today, and we have had so many requests to do this show. This is the much anticipated and much dissected continuation of the Sex and the City saga, of course, featuring Carrie, Miranda, Charlotte, and the fourth Sex and the City gal, Samantha, is noticeably missing, but this has made room for a cast of new characters in this reboot, including a fabulous new character, Seema, as well as um, Che Diaz, who we will talk about later. But we want to address a huge elephant in the room before we get into this show, which is the very serious allegations against Chris Noth, one of the main stars of this show and carries on again, off again, and 
finally fully on uh, romance throughout many seasons of the show. So several women have accused the actor who played Mr. Bay, Kristoff, of being a serial abuser. He's accused of sexual assault and rape. And Sarah Jessica Parker, Kristen Davis, and Cynthia Nixon have put out a statement of support for the women who made those accusations. The show has also removed a flashback scene that would have included Noth from the finale. Um, And we will continue to follow this story and we'll include links in the show notes so that we can share everything that we know about what's been reported to date. But I think it's really important to share, especially that Black women have been calling Chris Noth out for years. The supermodel Beverly Johnson notably accused him of beating her, making death threats against her and vowing to kill her dog during this relationship. And this was back in the um, 80s. And so this is really something that um, we should have been taking seriously all along. And I'm glad to see it's being paid attention to now. But there's just something to this kind of figure who has been anointed Mr. Right and his fall from grace that we really could not discuss and just like that without talking about this. Because Many fans have actually pointed out that the character Noth plays, Mr. Big, also had displays toxicity in the show itself. And that toxicity was later cast as romance. Now, his toxicity was not the same as abuse and rape in the show, but it's worth noting that these behaviors often exist on a spectrum and are reinforced and supported by a show and a culture that promotes cishet romance as the ultimate validation when it's succeeds, even if it's for supposedly independent trailblazing women. So we're really sorry to see all of this unfolding. Glad to see the show taking it seriously. And if they didn't, I can't say that we would even be in a position to be covering the show today. Oh, it's it's so true. There's no good transition uh, from, from that to the story that we're going to get into. The episode that we're talking about is maybe aptly titled Painfully Hip. That is a painfully uh, unfunny pun. The episode title uh, refers to both hip pain that Carrie, the character, is is experiencing and the painfully hip world that Carrie, Miranda, and Charlotte find themselves in and are really struggling to understand. I want to note that this episode uh, was primarily written by Samantha Irby, one of the new writers on the show, a woman of color who's the author of a New York Times bestseller, best-selling essay collection, We Are Never Meeting in Real Life, and has a very funny blog called Bitches Gotta Eat. And uh, I know that a lot of like, the hot, sexy stuff that we're going to talk about comes from Samantha. You can also tell that the original writers of Sex and the City had a heavy hand, especially in the uh, painfully hip aging sense of that pun, um, that uh, Eliza Zaritsky and Julie Rottenberg, who are two of the original writers on the show and our executive producers and writers on this show, Uh, also had a hand in writing this episode. But for the purposes of our conversation today, this episode features not one, but two characters who are really pushing up against the gender binary. The first is the much talked about Che Diaz, and we'll get into it. Stand-up comic, Carrie's boss at her uh, bizarre podcast called X, Y, and Me. And the second is Charlotte's younger child, who in this episode tells Charlotte they don't feel like a girl. And uh, over the course of the episode, Charlotte and her husband, Harry, realized that their kid has come out at school and is known at, in their school community by the name Rock and going by they, them pronouns. And this completely upends their uh, Upper East Side yuppie lives. So like every single episode of this reboot, 
it is a very cringy experience. Uh, the three main ladies are, as I said, really struggling. Uh, the world outside their bubble is entering their bubble, and uh, they're really relying on each other more than ever to, to understand the new woke world. And we all have a front row seat to the cringe. So many people have described watching this reboot um, as kind of like watching a car crash in slow motion. Um, You just cannot look away. And especially the Che Diaz and Miranda plotline has been building for some time. So Che Diaz's character is played by the incredible Sarah Ramirez. Um, And there's a really good New York Times profile that we recommend that we'll link in the show notes, which is Sarah Ramirez's impressions of the character Che Diaz and how they're the same and different. Because Sarah Ramirez is also a non-binary and bisexual Irish Mexican person, uh, but they also have a lot of differences from the character Che Diaz. Of course, we being cringe watchers found the perfect guest to dig into all of this and more. We were so thrilled to connect with River Butcher for this episode. River is a non-binary trans stand-up comic and podcaster. River's new Comedy Central special, A Different Kind of Dude, is out now at youtube.com slash standup. Definitely check it out. It's hilarious. And we really hope you enjoy our conversation with River Butcher. River, it is so nice to meet you. Thank you so much for joining us for this. Oh, my goodness. Thanks for having me. I'm so stoked to be here. I can't remember if we had already talked to you before or after you tweeted that you are the sober Che Diaz. But uh... <laughs> <laughs> sure, yeah. and I got my dates wrong and stuff. Yeah. <laughs> I, um, I, yeah, I feel like, uh, you, you've got, you've got a lot of, of baked in expertise on this show. (laughs) I feel like, yes, yes. (laughs) Not just, and not just from, uh, I will fully admit getting into it, you know, uh, not just from like my lived experience, bringing it to the show. I am a fan of sex in the city. (laughs) So like, I'm not just somebody that's like jumping in and commenting on this thing, which is also totally valid, but. I just want everybody to know, like, Sex in the City, probably at least top 20 television shows of my personal choice, you know. I think that makes this conversation a lot more interesting. And, you know, we don't we don't do fair weather fans here. We're very into <laughs> people who are passionate about content. Um, so that's yeah. good to know. But I will say, you know, when we were trying to figure out how we can make a conversation happen, this um, sex scene with Miranda and Che... <laughs> Yeah, like put us over the top. So <laughs> it's here. It's happening. Yeah. It's here. It's queer. It's happening. Danielle Cohen had an amazing piece in the cut featuring that sex scene. It has an opening line that I think is a great first question, which is where were you for the great and just like that fingering scene of 2021? On my couch. watching it. <laughs> <laughs> we all remember is the, That's is right. the thing. It's, it's impossible to forget. Yeah. Um, so what were your thoughts about that scene? Like wh- what was your impression and did it change? Has it changed uh, upon further reflection? I mean, I think it, I will say that it did change upon further reflection because <laughs> I watched the episode again for, to talk today. Um, and I'm glad I did because I feel like that's, that is like, to me, what's difficult about this iteration of sex in the city is that it's kind of hard to watch, (laughs) you know, like, so I find myself checking out of parts and not paying attention to it or something because I'm having such a strong reaction to something that just came before it. 
Um, and so I'm glad that I rewatched it because there's so much in this episode. Uh, but to get back to this scene, like watching it the second time, I liked it more, I'll say. Because I, I knew what was going to happen, you know? And I know what Miranda's like going through. I've seen all the episodes, you know, as many episodes after it as are available. And so it had a little more like fun to it. I could see the fun that was going on. And clearly those two actors are like comfortable with each other. The like scream grunting is just a little strange <laughs> to me still on the second rewatch. And I love Cynthia Nixon. So like obviously just a choice, but I'm curious what the other takes were <laughs> like, that's what I, I want to see the takes that are on the floor from that. You know? So in preparation for today, I discovered that there's a writer's room podcast and I listened to the re recap of, of the episode with Chase stand up and then with the oh, comedy, sure, yeah. comedy, concert, comedy concert and then, yeah. and then the episode, this episode and you know, Michael Patrick King, the creator of sex in the city is the very self-important host of this writer's room podcast. And, and he was talking about how this was the first take and it was really C Cynthia Nixon's instinct. And he called it, I think he called it prehistoric and he sure, thought it was yeah. a big, a big take and it was that big to show us how long it had been since yes. she was satisfied. Yeah. And I, then I think they took some, they did some more subtle takes, but ultimately went with Cynthia's instincts. Got her all. I mean, roll that, it makes, it makes sense. You know, like here's the other thing too, to play like devil's advocate, right. Or just play opposite it or whatever. When do you ever see a, a woman person, you know, like having sex like that and sounding like that? You don't. So like no. in some ways it's like, Oh, this is cool. I don't know. I I have a hard time because like she's cheating on her husband, you know, and we yeah. get to that in a later episode. That's what's tough about this storyline. It's like, God, if you told me in 2008, whenever I watched Sex in the City for the first time, 2010, somewhere around there, if I had a time machine and I went back and was like, guess what, dude? <laughs> Miranda's finally figuring it out. I'd be like, no way. And then I have to be like, but she's cheating. <laughs> right. You know, it's like, why can't, I guess it's like, I want my cake and, and I want to eat it too. Like I, I want her to do it the right way, but like that wouldn't be a TV show. You know? Yeah. So. I mean, for me, the really distracting thing was, was not necessarily the, the noises, but like the cuts to Carrie, like oh, pissing sure, herself. Yeah. yeah and yeah. I don't know. It just felt a little bit frustrating that they built up all this tension, including like for Miranda from previous seasons, like to yeah. be and become queer. And then they're not really giving us that sexy payoff. The sexy. Yeah, it, it didn't. You're right. It didn't. Um, Watching it the second time, too, and fully experiencing it. It didn't to me. It didn't fall on sad or funny it didn't really pull me in either direction. And it was just kind of like, Oh no, you know? Yeah. <laughs> Cause it's like, you're literally making your friend pee themselves. Yeah. Cause yeah. you're so being so like self-centered and like, just not thinking about anybody else. And, but then also it's like not funny, you know, it's like not funny that Carrie's incapacitated and can't right. move without her, you know, it's like, but it was kind of trying to play that a little bit. And then, yeah, it just, just it was, it was strange a little bit. Yeah, I, I promise I'm not going to cite their podcast for every example we get into. But but my, Michael Patrick King also but had a take on this. For, yeah, so, that's what it's yeah. there for. That's what it's there for. His his take was that the moment that Carrie 
blows the straw out of her mouth is permission for us to understand that her part is is comedy. And he thought this was a, a genius scene. And he said, it's like the miracle worker, except she's Ann Sullivan and Helen Keller. Whoa. Like I, Carrie is? The, yes, wow. Carrie. Okay. That, that's All her right. tour de force. I don't even understand what that means, but... <laughs> Wow, what a take. It really, <laughs> I actually thought um, the part, because I find Miranda's whole character this season kind of hysterical in a way that that feels, I understand that she would get flustered by all these different um, woke awakenings she's happening at, <laughs> sure, at school yeah. and at Carrie's, but she she's so panicked and frazzled at all times. But at the when she gets caught by Carrie and realizes Carrie knows everything that's happened and Carrie says, you know, you're married and she starts trying to change the sheets and then she knocks Carrie's leg yeah. and, and Carrie's like, ow, that that, yeah. that brought me into it. I felt. Oh, yeah, I agree fully. Cringing in a realistic way, like, oh, of like, oh, God. Yeah. 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 That was a really wrong. well played moment between the two of them of the like not not her not accepting like, oh, I've really I've really made a huge mistake in this moment, <laughs> you know? Yeah. I mean, I, I love their friendship, like historically in sex yeah, in the city. Yeah. I love, I love the two of them. It is really good. And Layla, you were saying this before we came on, but like the Miranda selfishness, I can't figure out if that is consistent with like her character over time, but Che's sexiness it's it's hard also for me to see what Che is getting out of this. Um, and <laughs> sure, yeah. The end and the show doesn't really seem interested to explore that at all. Um, but a generous read for me of what's going on in this scene is and and in the show generally because River like your your comment that it's like not that funny and also not that sexy like you you could say <laughs> that about the show this entire season and. I'm kind of just want to say they're like, okay, we have these older women and usually people are looking past older women or it's just like not going to be that interesting. Or, okay. They're all they're They've all found their like partners or whatever. They're all settled in. There's nothing to say. We're just going to subvert that and, and just infuse chaos. And yeah, we're, we choose violence. Right. Um, <laughs> <laughs> and so that like generously, that's cool. But my question for you, River like Che's role, a lot has been written about this entire season with not only like the like non-binary trans person, but just any characters of color on this show that come yeah. on. Like, I, I can I say one thing, which is uh, I don't know if you guys know uh, Carly Houston. Uh, they are a good friend of mine, director. Um, they've done podcasting and all kinds of stuff. Um, so this is fully theirs. And I'm going to give them full credit, but I feel like it has to be mentioned in this. They were like, it's like each of the characters has a an emotional support yes. person of color. Yes. yes. <laughs> and it's really strange, you know? And I mean, I, I get why it's happening, but like, it's really strange. And uh, Miranda gets two because she has her professor right. and, and her lover. That's right. But the thing is like, Che Diaz, I don't feel like it's interesting to me and I could be wrong. Who knows? There's more show left. Che is not getting to play their ethnicity very much. Mm, say more. Well, I mean, and like, that's also totally cool. Like, I don't think just because <laughs> you're like not white, you should be playing that up or anything. There's no context. There's no context. Like they are in 
Carrie's context, they are in Miranda's context. Um, and th- when they are in that context, the conversation is about gender, period. You know, um, they get a little bit into their dad story, you know, a little bit, but there's nothing deeper than that. Like they are a comic and they're, they're queer. And so they, that's what they talk about, you know? Um, and, and then I think if they, if they were actually like sort of deepened into, you know, their, uh, the person of color that they are, they would just be talking about it. You know what I mean? So that's what it would probably do. And so that's, what's weird to me about the show. And I happen to, we'll probably get into this more later, but I watched the first four episodes with my partner last night because they'd never seen it. And they were watching, they've been watching this with me and they're just like, what is this? And then we watched the, I was like, I swear to you (laughs) that this is not that show, you know? And we were like laughing. We were having a great time. And like, you know, it is still a white centered show, you know, like white cisgender hetero show in the first season but it is a lived in New York, you know, like you are going into these spaces that are not all white, that are not all rich, that are not, you know, like it is a firmly middle-class experience in this first season. And I was like, Oh, this is why I liked this show. Cause it feels like New York and this show, this season feels like New York too, but it's not a New York that I have access to, <laughs> you know, it's right. not a, it's not a New York that I want either, you know, <laughs> like they're going and spending, you know, a hundred dollars on lunch or something like I, you know, yeah, which, which is reality, but it's just like, man, I wish like you were saying earlier, like that they had some realization of that and they were like, maybe we need to <laughs> have a different experience or something. Absolutely. I mean, I mean, I, I wonder what it would have done to this season if like one of the characters was hard up for cash. You know, that's like the one yeah. piece of diversity that they're not willing to explore. Right. Like um, what like- if Carrie didn't get all of Big's money? <laughs> right. <laughs> and actually went back to being Carrie Bradshaw. Right. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. And like, look, those first four episodes that I watched, I was like, oh, yeah, this is a show that tells pretty superficial stories when it starts out, you know, and then you get into the later seasons and they're in relationships and dating people for longer amounts of time and things are happening to them in their lives and stuff. But even in that those first four episodes, they're like having superficial storylines like guys dating models, you know, like that's the right. premise of the whole episode. Yeah. And it it they touch like five or six different aspects of life and existence and what that means in 26 minutes right (laughs) like to me they get deeper faster in 26 minutes than like you're saying about that the the new new york thing it's just wild because you're like i know that this show is in there somewhere (laughs) right yeah (laughs) yeah i mean i think there's maybe like some also pandemic escapism where we just all kind of want to see characters we love doing well. Um, but I think there's a case we made that like, we don't want to see characters we love being, you know, unreasonably rich. And I just want to get that, um, message out to Hollywood. Like it doesn't need to happen. We love to see the struggle too. I like to see people doing well too, you know, and that, but to me, that doesn't translate to money. Mm. Right. Yeah. Always. You know what I mean? Like I, 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 you know, clearly this is like uh, a show that had some controversy that happened recently, but like, I just think about like how wild it is to think about Roseanne being on, you know? Mm. Yeah. Or, or even like the Simpsons or something like that. That's like portraying, 
you know, working, literally working class people, <laughs> you know, like not this pretend middle class that we've come up with that has never actually existed anyways, <laughs> of like affluence, you know, and like, um, as though if everyone is financially stable, then the stories can be more interesting. And it's like, I just don't, you can tell stories about people who are financially insecure without that being the crux of the story. Similar to how, and I'll fold it back because I feel like we didn't get to talk about this character enough. Similar to how Che Diaz, for the most part, with the exception perhaps of the little hospital conversation that they have, is mostly purely talking about their identity over and over and over and over again. And this is kind of the situation with Rock as well, where like, yes, it is something that you as a person end up talking about a lot because people ask you about it a lot. But there's got to be a point where that's not the the crux of the thing. And I think you made a great point, Lori, about how like, what is Che getting out of this? You know, like, I, I'm even fine if Che's like, look, you're like an older woman and I'm like into that and like this is or like I want to check that box off or something you know what I mean like I don't care even if it's like they're sleazy about it but like you're right and I didn't even think about that until I heard that of like I don't actually know why Ch Che Diaz is falling for Miranda like and I'm into it but like right. tell me <laughs> you know like this has come up for us before we did an episode on high maintenance and asexuality and, mm. and sort of ace identity, which is not a term they used on that show. But we interviewed mm. someone, uh, this woman, Angela Chen, uh, who has written a book on on ace, uh, the book on ace. And she, <laughs> cool. uh, she shared with us with minority identities or sexualities or stories mm -hmm. that we don't always get to see when you do finally get a character and Che Diaz even says this, there's usually only one yeah, yeah. and they say there's one and we're sad, but, but Angela's point was there's usually one. And then the whole storyline is introducing their identity and only their identity. And then there's no, yeah, there's no room again. for plot or relationships, you know, romance, anything heartache. Yeah. And, and I think that's, I, it feels very much like, uh, even, even the, um, we, we can get into the podcast later, but but even the little <laughs> pause breaks in the podcast to define woke terms for their imaginary audience, it feels like yeah. Che is constantly teaching. Che is just walking through life. Yeah. The only things I hear Che see is, let me tell you about uh, trans non-binary identity or I'm off to a gig. Those <laughs> yes. are two, two, yeah. two categories of lines. Right. Yeah, got to go to this city. <laughs> got to yeah. go. Always. Or yeah. wait, I'm so sorry. There's a third one, which is I do so much weed. <laughs> yes, yes, <laughs> yes. <laughs> the like the 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 smoking a pipe in public at work is too far. <laughs> it's too much. Nobody would. Nobody does you that. Don't, you don't smoke out thirteen year olds at uh, funerals. That's not. <laughs> no, Jesus Christ. Uh, it's part of their role as emotional support, right? Because right. Che is constantly encountering these very stressed out, uptight <laughs> women <right. laughs> and but having to force weed on them. Right. Because they got to chill out. Yeah. That's what's, I, you know, and I was talking about this with my partner earlier uh, in thinking about, you know, like thinking stuff out for this podcast is that that's what's so frustrating to me about making them a, the, this teacher and then not using it. You know, like they're not using it. Like, I love Charlotte. Like, people get mad at me when I'm like, I love Charlotte. Like, I love Charlotte. I do. Like, there are things that she does I don't remember that are bad. I don't know. You know, but it's like, that's why there's a bunch of seasons of the show. Because it's like, you you love Samantha, then you love Miranda. Then you follow you go over there. That's like, what's so great about the show? It's like, you don't like that? Find something else, you know? Um, But I love, like, 
many of Charlotte's journeys, you know? And, like, it makes sense to me that Charlotte would be uptight about their kid. It doesn't make sense to me, however, that somebody like Charlotte, who did drag, <laughs> was a drag king in the se- in the series, would be as uptight as they are about it, and also would not put two and two together that they literally just went to a comedy concert <laughs> and paid attention to the whole thing, and their friend is with this person, and they're interfacing and hearing all this stuff, that they wouldn't reference that at some any point in processing what's going on. That's what's really frustrating to me because, like, as you pointed out, the show itself is going, oh, there's usually only one. And that's them, like, patting themselves on the back and being like, we've got two. Right. But they don't cross the streams. No, And no. you have to, like, these these people are interfacing with each other. There's just no world to me that Charlotte would not go from that concert and take that with her and have some thoughts about it. I think they're trying to show that in Charlotte's eyes, but then we don't follow Charlotte. We follow Miranda to the bar. But like, right. to your point, yeah. I have to invoke Michael Patrick King one more time. because <laughs> please. please do. That's what the podcast so, is so for. Michael Patrick King, because there were no trans or non-binary people in the writer's room. Not at all. And that is very evident. And that's not, that is not a dig. It's just like, it's actually just me being objective and saying like, that's, that's what it looks like when you don't yes. have people with that lived experience. Because I will say, just to add, not to totally interrupt you, I want to hear no, no, no. the rest this of your saying. No, no, no. This is a conversation. Is that I think, because I don't want to go too far down the road without saying this, I think that Sarah Ramirez is doing a great job with what they're given. I think they're performing the heck out of what they're, they've been given and making some great choices with what they've been given. I also think both of the Charlotte's kids are crushing it. Like yes. I think Lily is actually perhaps my favorite performer on the show. <laughs> yeah. She's given so little, but she plays it so real. And I believe that kid so a hundred percent. And I also think that the kid playing rock is doing a great job with what they've been given. Um, so I just wanted to put that out there because I think there's also great aspects to, to some of the things that are happening. <laughs> I love that you're holding the show up because this is something that that Lori and I've been talking about amongst ourselves is that it's almost too easy to take down this show. It it's is so easy. It is it is of the moment. Every Just spin it is, a wheel and you yes. can you know. <laughs> I, I think they're they're trying very hard. That's uh, the but, problem. They're trying too hard. Yeah, they're trying way too hard and they're trying to cover too much, but not in much Absolutely. depth. Absolutely. But so in lieu of having trans perspective in the writer's room. Michael yes. Patrick Ting- King attended several seminars and, and writer's events and, and listened to of people with lived experience. And the one thing he heard in every room was that uh, the biggest issue is that when our, char- when our lives are portrayed on screen, there's only one of us and we're sad. Now, oh instead God. of doing something with that sentiment, he wrote it into one line of Chase stand-up, which to me is just... So I mean, I guess it's, I guess it's positive because Rock is not sad. Rock is is very just like this is it, mom and dad, get on board, or I'll see you later. <laughs> you know, <laughs> one of the really sweet things that I learned from that podcast. One of them has a kid who had that same bedside conversation with her. Oh so yeah. That, so so mm. the kid coming out to the mom is not not exactly a real life experience. It wasn't the very first time the parents had considered that that something about identity was going on with the kid. Right. Mm-hmm. Like the parents had an inkling that perhaps this was something that was going on. And then they were, then that came up. Exactly. Yeah. And, and they were put and, that in the damn yeah. show. 
Yes, put that but part yeah, in there. Exactly. They're exactly. all they're both acting like it's coming out of no left field. Out of you know? nowhere. But but the kid did say while reading a book in bed, I I don't feel like a boy. The way mm-hmm. uh Rock says, I don't feel like a girl. And and so I, yeah. I I which is interesting because I did like that phrase and the deliver as you say, the kid yeah, yeah, playing yeah. rock. That that delivery rang really true. Charlotte then falling out of the bed makes it kind of slapstick. <laughs> but yeah, classic sex <laughs> yeah. in the city. Whoop, 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 right. whoop, whoop. <laughs> Yeah, but what did you think of uh, of Harry and Charlotte's reactions? I mean, I just, I guess here's here's how I feel about this. I understand that there is inherent value to parents on cisgender parents of trans kids. I'm just going to use trans as a shorthand for trans and non-binary because um, that's the way I approach it. But for having gender non-conforming kids, maybe I'll put it that way. There is an inherent value to seeing them struggle with it. But I will say that that is something that I feel like I've seen a thousand times and I've lived it a thousand times, whereas I don't see the opposite. I just think they would have had a little more conflict. It would have been more interesting to me if the two of them weren't so on the same page about it because they just felt very on the same page like, oh my God, what's happening? This can't be real kind of feeling, you know? And then I think, you know, like specifically after that like teacher conversation that to me is so wacky, then they leave and she's like, you're a good father. You know, like I feel like you could have that same scene end with the same line and have them be in conflict about what to do and about the conversation. I desperately wanted Charlotte to be more on Rock's side than she was. You know, and and I I might be like literally triggered by some of it. You know what I mean? Like, but I don't know. I just I just feel like and there was like the setup with Charlotte and going to talking to Anthony. And it's just like when Rock is not around, Rock is like a joke and Rock is like an object and Rock is not a person, you know. And I also am like, could you have chosen a name that's less of an object too. There's <laughs> nothing wrong. If this is what that person feels like, I don't want to diminish what someone's name is or whatever, but it's also just like, I, I find them being very objectified in a way um, that it makes sense that if you're writing it from going to um, seminars and having people talk at you, as opposed to sitting with someone and hearing their experience and like witnessing their experience through their actual like body and face and things very different experience and it makes sense that this is this is what would come out of that you know yeah i mean it's interesting we're in my circle i don't want to be too specific cuz it's not really my story to share but it i recently was uh, in a position to talk to two grandmothers talking about their grandkids gender identity and it was so interesting because the one in her 80s was having a lot of trouble wrapping her head around the concept of the the way Harry reacts saying like this kid is too yeah. young right. it's it, it it's too from? soon yeah. where did it come from and that's an argument that i hear a lot which mm-hmm. is which is like oh we you know i i think the, it's a the, reaction 
it's a reaction as opposed to you trust someone when they tell mm-hmm. you something, especially yes. something so hard to tell. Yeah. And, and, and someone, some, someone who's being so generous is that I don't know kids who are 12 who are that open with their parents to tell them everything. And that kid's like, follow me on TikTok. You can have the, <laughs> right. the key to my inside life. Yeah. The grandmother in her eighties was saying, when I was a kid, we called it tomboy. I don't understand mm-hmm. the need for these different buckets Very and definitions. Experience. It, it feels so, it feels so permanent to me. And, and, you know, we were having a, a generational conversation. So the younger people were chiming in and saying, what's yeah. the harm? And yeah. why, why does it bother you? Great question. And it, it's interesting. <laughs> I think people have different journeys, but to, to your point, River, I think they, Charlotte and, and Harry are both having cringy reactions, but I think mm-hmm. the show is trying to set up that Charlotte's having a more progressive reaction than Harry. And I think what you're Definitely. pointing out is, is it's still not great. No, yeah. I, I mean, I think they're definitely setting her up because it's Charlotte. You know right. what I mean? Like Charlotte is not going to be like, you're out of my house, you know? Right. <laughs> and you're like not going to live here anymore. Um, but she buys a book. She, right. Yes. She <laughs> reads everything she possibly can about it or whatever. I guess you know, and something else to point out too, before I forget is the consistent misgendering of the kid throughout the episode that um, I think is, is deeply problematic. Um, and the show should should have known better than to do that um, because they were already on it with, you know, Miranda misgenders uh, Che and Carrie corrects her in a with a tone that is right on the edge yeah. <laughs> <laughs> of, of sarcasm. Um, but the, the show should have known better and respect that character and that person, I think, earlier than the, the teachers, you know, um, and also. It speaks, I think, to what we were talking about, too, the like class stuff that's happening in this show. And what's wild to me is is this show. I don't. And you're telling me that they don't. They don't understand the gravity of this, of what this could mean if this kid wasn't as rich as they are, (laughs) you know, exactly. Um, And also in this situation, I don't think, you know, having money makes somebody like not kick their kid out or whatever. It definitely does not. But I just think it comes off as a topic, you know, which is something that I see a lot. So it's not specific to the show. And, and that I I appreciated the story that you shared too, because it's like this older person is unable to, to simply witness and receive somebody else. You have to turn it into what you experienced. Why can't that, why can't what I think just be good enough? That's ultimately what it comes down to. And it's like, it's not about that. It's not about what you think at all, you know, and I do think that there's value to, um, you know, showing the experience of a parent believing that they're losing something, you know, because I don't know what it's like to be a parent. So I can't claim to, to, to know that feeling. I do know that if I had a kid who, when they're 10, told me, hey, you know, this thing you thought I was, I'm not. I would be like, cool. What do you want to eat for lunch? <laughs> you know, like <laughs> because that's my experience. I've had the experience of that. And so I could give that to a kid, you know. And if I had a kid that never felt that way, I'd be like, all right, cool, whatever, you know. But what I wish the show was doing is giving us that experience. And like l- I wish they were just literally saying, like, I feel like I'm losing something instead of like, oh, well, they would eat ice cream and just having it be this the whole time and actually get to the emotional core in this episode as it's happening, not later, right now, and have somebody be vulnerable enough to say, I feel like I'm losing my daughter, you know, and just be honest so that somebody could say like, 
Carrie saying the rose line at the end, which is sweet. And I think it's kind saying something like, you know, you don't know what you you're getting, you know, like you, you might feel like you're losing something today, but tomorrow you might be never forget what you might be receiving or like what might be opened up, you know, like giving both not sides, but re- realities, their own space, you know? Cause I just feel like it's so much of Harry and Charlotte and it's so like, Oh, it's a kid. They're going to think they're a dog. Blah, 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 blah. Like, I just wish that this show gave that, that character, the, um, dignity that that character actually deserves. If you're going to put, if you're going to put somebody in a show and have them transition basically socially, um, then you should give that character the dignity of their experience. Even when they're not on Hell screen, yeah. especially when they're not on screen, <laughs> you know, <laughs> that was really well said. And you're making me realize the ways in which the the superficiality of the the characters and and especially especially around this particular plot line is actually reinforcing like a lot of kind of fucked up turfy ideas. Yes, um, <laughs> yes. It, because they <laughs> because they don't realize the stakes. Um, mm-hmm. They are pretending like the idea that this came from somewhere else or um, pronouns Mm. are silly. Those are like neutral ideas that would just come naturally to a parent until they're educated by a book. That's right. Versus like concerted political efforts and communications Mm -hmm. campaigns and, uh, and like hate campaigns that have been out there for decades and that are actually like increasing right now. Mm -hmm. Um, And so that is like, that, that does strike me as really dangerous and, um, you know, something that is also unfortunately kind of consistent um, with how the show has like dealt with queerness and has historically like centered like cis gay men um, who are white as like the queer identity of the show. Right. Um, <laughs> and so that's it's still- definitely like and this is my language and not not anybody else's. It's definitely gay rather than queer. You know, Oh yeah, yeah. that's right. Yeah, and actually, Sarah Ramirez, there's, there's HBO has a lot of little shorts, and they have a whole one where, where they're, they're having them address all sexuality and gender in about ninety seconds. <laughs> I think I, I, it's not just that character, but that actor who has a lot of pressure to, to, yeah. because if, if there no, if there's no one in the writers' room with that identity, then the actor does have some lived experience, so we know that we're, they're leaning on, on them to add credibility to the character and to everything that's happening, right. I don't know if that character, if that actor is, you know, a non-binary gender non-conforming trans person. You know what I mean? Like, <laughs> like yeah. I know Sarah Ramirez is, you know, um, and like this is a kid, so I don't want to. But that I would be the show's the responsibility. Kid is, but this is to, based to on do, superficial you know? Googling. The one thing I, I saw about the kid is that it was important to the kid that the coming out story not be sad. And well, it, was, good. It, it was there. It was, I think it was the kid. It was, I think it was the actor who plays rock's idea that they involved TikTok for the coming out. So that actor knocked on the door of the much older they writer's room that and actor, said, yes. Do you think that actor wrote that TikTok? Cause that, I hope not. I, I hope have not. the least, no. that was like a 1989 rap style. Like that's not even what TikToks look like. That was like Tipper <laughs> Gore trying to explain <laughs> to you what rap is. <laughs> I really want to point at one thing and just to like piggyback off of what Lori said, which I thought was also perfect, um, that when Harry has that outsized reaction to the use of the word they, I found it to be deeply troubling. <laughs> um, 
deeply troubling uh, from the standpoint, Lori, that you were making, which is like, oh, yeah, these are like if you go to these like very extreme, you know, people or ideas or platforms, whatever, this is the reaction that they're having, you know? So now do people have those reactions naturally? Sometimes, I guess. But this is a television show you get to write. (laughs) <laughs> you know, so like I, I, I found that to be incredibly troubling that he had uh, that big of a reaction to a word that is used in common language all the time. <laughs> it's used constantly, consistently, and it's not a wor- some protected word for a particular class of people. That's why people are using it, because it already existed. Like queer people have tried for for decades, centuries, millennia to create their own language and it doesn't, it doesn't, it, it can't mainstream. And sometimes that's the purpose of it. And so this was a, a movement, a word movement for people to claim some liber- liberation <laughs> from a duality, a binary, and create a polarity that already existed, that isn't hard because you're already saying it. And for, so for somebody to be like, they, did you just say they and be so like, disgusted was really upsetting to me <laughs> not just somebody the sweaty the dad. bald jewish yeah. man who turned charlotte out and took her away from her wasp roots i mean <laughs> that's right. like <laughs> do right. you not remember his origin story like all right. of the male partners in this show have just they, they just ex- withered away they just expect us to forget uh what all these men started out as <laughs> i remember the sweat Yes, oh, yeah, tri- the, tripping sweaty. on the divorce papers. Tripping he was her divorce, divorce lawyer. <laughs> <Exactly>. <laughs> but I keep thinking ever since you said it, River, about the, the, Carrie's reaction, uh, Carrie's correction uh, being mm-hmm. slightly sarcastic because they have set this is not news to Harry. They have set up that both kids attend a school where this is where Rock is by no means the first kid right. to to come out. And they have an almost sarcastic family conversation where Charlotte says, is this because that kid in your class went from X name to X name. <laughs> yeah. And then Lily in her deadpan says, oh, no, so and so now goes by this other name. And they're almost making fun of the fact that kids at that age might change their name a lot mm-hmm. or, or reintroduce themselves several times because at 12 years old or whatever preteen, you're discovering who you are. That might evolve. So Harry's in the room for all of that. The, yeah. the the they at 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 the private school later is is disingenuous. It, it's yeah. pre, it's 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 a show, right? And it's very like that whole thing is very like asking to see the manager kind of like how how dare you you work for me kind of a thing, which again speaks to the whole like yeah. And I just don't like the dynamic that it creates. It's like this school is doing the right thing. <laughs> this school is doing the right thing and like listening to its students and like. My God, like I, I watch all this and I'm literally like, who cares? You know, like I, I have friends here that have kids who are not the same age as these people, but they're younger and they have older kids <laughs> and they have kids who go by their first initial who use they, them, and they are so chill about it. And it's not a California thing. It's just literally a right now thing. It's happening and it's not that big of a deal, <laughs> you know, <laughs> it's just so not in reality you know like there's it's so disjointed and like i just can't imagine that you know miranda would be so far from all of this stuff when her kid is like 
I don't know, practicing safe sex in her house and they're like yeah. allies and they probably have queer friends. And like, it's like, like one of the episodes we watched was when Charlotte's boyfriend wants to have anal sex and they all get in the cab together and they all just hash <laughs> it out. And I was like, this is incredible because nobody's making a statement of like, it's always like this. And if you do it, it's going to be like this. Like they all, it's a, it's a whole variety of experience and they're having a fun time. And I'm like, where's this, where's this moment where they all get together and life isn't a dirge <laughs> in that car. They don't go through the, the talking points of being pro or anti butt stuff. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. They don't, they, they don't pull up Ben Shapiro or something. <laughs> so, okay. Maybe let's, go to a place where this show is like better known. So clothes, style, mm. classic, sex in the city. This is something they nail, right? Um, they, it's always been a huge part of the storytelling on this show. I am curious, both of you actually, do you feel like the clothes, specifically of like Rock and Shay, where mm. like they feel authentic to the characters that they're representing? Yeah, I mean, I think I think the backwards baseball cap loses me just a little bit. It it feels very like um, that looks like a precious moments kind of a thing, <laughs> you know. <laughs> uh, it, it feels a little one note, but I feel other than that, it's kind of like yeah, it just looks like a kid to me, you know. Um, and then you know, in comparison to like Lily or something, it, it works. And I also think you know that the the thing about Che Diaz is. It's hard to say because it's like I really respect Sarah Ramirez, you know, so it's like I don't want to go too hard, but it's just like there's so few like mask people on TV, you know, um, that I'm just like there's certain elements of like feminist to what they're wearing that I'm just like, man, I wish you were just going all the way. But that's very personal, obviously, <laughs> you know what I mean? But um. I definitely wish I knew how much Sarah was bringing to those wardrobe conversations because I'm like, how much of this is you and like wish fulfillment kind of a thing, you know? Because um, I feel like it's like 90%. Yeah. <laughs> so in that respect, I'm like, I'm into it. You know what I mean? Like it's not, the nice thing is um, they're not like turning them into some like, you know, biker space alien thing, you know? Um, it's just like biker updated a little bit, you know, which is nice. And it's just like, yeah, there's, they're also just wearing like a hoodie and jump pants or whatever, which is like pretty realistic, I think. I, I mean, I think the other thing that's realistic is that 60% of the Che Diaz look is the haircut. Oh and yeah, it's it's yeah. it's very sexy, and I've got to assume that Sara Ramirez is bringing that on their own. Oh yeah, yeah that's yeah. a good haircut. The haircut, the haircut is great. I think we yeah. can all agree. <laughs> yeah, I, I didn't think too much about Rock's outfits. Yeah, I didn't I, really I, think about it that I much. I thought that the the piano recital episode where Charlotte's marching home with three coordinated designer dresses um, as a big. We're gonna get into gender and clothing now. Yeah. <laughs> moment I thought was a little heavy handed, but very in line with the show mm -hmm. almost uh, if if they're going to be corny i i think corny about designer clothes is is right on brand oh for sure i definitely also when they did that i i was not happy about it because <laughs> <laughs> i think anytime you you force like i mean first of all personal experience um having when when you in and, and that's the thing is like when you are not a gender non-conforming person a trans person, a non-binary person, or any combination of the three things I just said, you do not know the depth of, of 
of the experience of being forced to wear something you deeply do not want to wear. People think it's very superficial when you say you don't want to do that. And then this is a show that tells a story through its clothes. And then it, they force a kid to wear, and, and then the actor kind of plays it like it's all right. And, and to me, um, you know, that's it, uh, the show's failing at this point. Uh, doing that feels so hack to me <laughs> of like, it's so much like, oh, this is a cisgender person's experience of what somebody else's life is like. Oh, they're just a tomboy. So like you can do it for like an hour, right? And they don't understand the depth of what that hour is like for that person. You know, and I know it's like even saying it, I can hear my own brain going like, it's not that big of a deal. And it's like, it actually is. <laughs> it actually is, you know, like I had to wear a like a uniform dress to school every day until I was in uh, high school. And I'll tell you what, the day I graduated high school, I wore my last like, I, I think I wore like stuff to somebody's like wedding or something. And that was like it. You know, I was like 20 or whatever, and I have not ever put anything, like I wouldn't even do drag at the, like I might, I might now that I understand myself be able to do drag because I would be making that decision, you know? Anyway, so now I've gotten far afield, but it's just like, it's those kinds of things that like, if you actually had somebody in the room, um, you would need to talk it out, but you would actually end up creating a deeper experience and people would be talking about your show for different reasons. You know, and I think that's what writers rooms are missing. Like they don't want to bring us in because they don't they don't want they don't want us to rain on the parade and they don't want us to be like, no, you know, <laughs> like people want to hire people that go. Yeah, no, I love it. It's great. How do I make it? How, how do what do you want me to do with it? And like, I get that <laughs> because you're like running it, you know, but when you hire some people who say like, I no, I think you should do it differently or we should talk it out or something like that. You are going to, even if you end up with the original idea, it's going to be better, you know? Anyway, that's my stump speech for writing from a gender non-conforming point of view. You've swayed this audience and I think... <laughs> that, You're hired. <laughs> yes, exactly. I do want to point out, I mean, this is a good transition to our, our final question before the rapid fire, which is, um, can we all go around the room and say one positive thing about this show so that we're not just piling on oh yeah no i <laughs> i just want to say that the my my of the many lessons i learned from listening to and just like that dot 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 the writer's room that the 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 one thing that that they keep reiterating is they there are women of color in the room yeah. what i really took away from the two episodes i listened to is you can see how the original trio who've been working together since sex in the city and who have aged just like sarah jessica parker and cynthia nixon and kristen davis they're they're still in a very tight position of power uh, because they are they're the incoming executive producers, directors, show creators, and then they brought in really smart people to inform the Indian American character and the black women on the show. And so there are notes of authenticity, but I think what you feel throughout the show is a divide. That no matter how much technical airtime you give to the non trio. It's still you're never going to feel like the that the other characters other than um, uh, Charlotte, uh, Miranda, and Carrie are main characters. They they just can't be by the by the show's creation. Yeah, I almost would rather them just like in the the show just like admit that that's what it well, is. Given all of that, what what do you think is is uh, your favorite or a positive thing about and just like that dot dot dot? My favorite or positive thing about it. I mean. 
I guess <laughs> it's <laughs> um, I do still like something is bringing me back. Something is bringing me back every week. I like I can't get away from it. <laughs> I can't stop <laughs> watching it, you know, and like there's something about these three women like I won't even specify characters and actors because it changes, you know, it's like sometimes I'm like watching it because it's Cynthia Nixon and sometimes I'm watching it because it's Charlotte, you know what I mean? Sometimes it's because it's Kristen Davis. Um, and I just, I do, despite everything, it's like, I do still enjoy watching women on screen, you know, <laughs> it's like, I do enjoy the moments, you know, that, that used to be, you know, bigger in the episodes before in the previous iteration. Um, cause when I was watching that, like something that has happened for me, um, since I like transitioned to, uh, a guy, <laughs> you know, the guy that I've always been is that I can appreciate, uh, like femme things so much more deeply now because it doesn't change anything for me anymore. It doesn't, there's no exchange, there's no exchange anymore where like I might lose something uh, or I feel that way. And so there's still just something, even though it's, it's got all these problems that we're talking about, there's just still something about watching, you know, 50 year old women on screen talking to each other that will keep me coming back, you know? Um, and I think that the fact that I do, like, I think you're right, that Charlotte is getting teed up to have a progressive reaction. And it's like, I, I want to see what happens. I also want to see what the hell happens with Miranda and Steve. Yeah. Yeah. Like I can't not see what happens with that, you know, <laughs> Definitely. there's a whole justice for Steve movement on the internet. I know that's, that's also what I love so much is that they're like, we're going to make the queer actor queer. Miranda's <laughs> finally a lesbian or what, right. you know, finally gay, finally queer. And all the queer people I know that watch the show are like justice for Steve. Yeah. It's like, you guys really need to take a minute with that. Like you really do. You're also kind of making the case for, I, in my mind, I am repurposing the meaning of, and just like that, um, to be like a transition narrative, um, mm. for yeah. being able to appreciate, uh, womanhood and style and femininity more um when we're our true authentic selves so that's my takeaway from your takeaway nice. and and laurie what's your favorite or positive takeaway you know i think river you, you covered a lot of it i'm going to say i have experienced not to the degree that miranda just crashed and burned in her <laughs> class but sure. i have experienced like white people being awkward in, mm -hmm. in settings. Um, I and, <laughs> and I did see myself um, in that room in like some of just the wide eyed, like jaw, like slack jawed, just like watching of the disaster unfold. Mm -hmm. And I just appreciated that they, you know, went there and like let Miranda be that cringe and that awkward. Yeah. Um, that's cool by me. I appreciate that they're like attempting to play mm -hmm. around with some of the like lack of racial diversity in friend groups in New York City right now, which mm -hmm. I <laughs> experience from a different generational perspective, but which is mm. like still so, so real. Um, and I also really appreciate the fashion and especially the fashion 
of the LTW, um, Nicole uh, Ari Parker's character. I mean, come on. So good. <laughs> what about you? What about you, Layla? I mean, those are some good ones. You, you, you're reminding with the cringe moment that that you and I have both worked for a powerful black woman as her comms lead. And one of the things that she told me was, I need to change my bio photo often because I change my hair often. Mm. And I, it's such an interesting baked in reality to a, a black woman's experience that if I have braids one day, someone might not recognize me who was in my class oh yesterday. My you know, <laughs> Not only will they not recognize me, but they will tell everyone um, and it will become a oh, thing. Oh, wow. <laughs> <laughs> I have to say that Sarita Chowdhury, who plays Seema, an imperfect character mm-hmm. is someone I always get excited to see yeah. because I I think um, Mississippi Masala was a life changing sexual mm. awakening movie for me. And I cannot see her without getting excited. I loved all the little <laughs> tidbits of Homeland that she was snuck into as Saul's wife. Mm. And then other than that, I haven't seen her a lot. And so I don't love the fact that her entire character exists to not be married but right. I do, I do like. It bothers uh, me that every time she's on screen, you hear Samantha whispered in the background. Yeah, it's exactly. very confusing to me. It's, exactly. I find it distracting. Exactly. <laughs> but, but that said, I do think that she has a, a charisma that is undeniable. And despite all of the problems, and by not wanting to like anything about what she's doing, I do. I I don't look away. I am very entertained, and um, we could have a whole separate episode about Diwali. Since 2009, Ashley and Samantha, co-founders of Shag, have been keeping Brooklyn sexy at their one-of-a-kind gem of a boutique in Williamsburg, nestled discreetly at the crossroads of sex and art. At Shag, you can find everything from vibrators to lingerie, candles to cuffs, and books to butt toys, a carefully chosen selection of high-quality, functional, affordable, and body-safe products. Shag is a space free of judgment for your unique sexual identity. When you come to Shag, no matter your sexual preference, gender identity, age or ethnicity, whether you're sporting tattoos or mom jeans, you'll find a welcoming and friendly atmosphere. Visit the online store at weloveshag.com and find out more about in-shop events from Shabiri rope bondage classes to rotating art exhibits. River, are you ready? I am ready. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> All right, you're, we're going into the cringe fire round. Great. What is another show that you are binging right now? Okay, so as I said, Sex in the City, the OG, is another one. But I we I just finished a binge of Station Eleven. Yes. Mm. Crushed yeah. it. What is something in the world that you're finding very cringy at the moment? I mean, good lord, you know, like throw a dart, and I yeah. But, um, <laughs> The first thing that came to my mind, and because it relates to what the what we were talking about on this episode, was um, uh, Matt Walsh blog <laughs> on Dr. Phil recently. I think that was last week. I could not bring myself to watch any of it because I, I kind of felt like I knew what it was going to be like. Um, I wish they would pick on somebody their own size. You know what I mean? I wish that a show like that, because what's wild to me, and I know this is supposed to be a fast round, but I I would just love to bring this up, which is that like the trans movement, the transgender movement in the the eighties and nineties really used daytime talk shows, um, as a tool for, um, 
I don't want to say visibility because that word has been sort of turned into something new for now, but, but visibility where like people like Leslie Feinberg and Susan Stryker and others were going on Donahue and literally in the firing line on a television show where the audience would be allowed to ask them awful things, you know, because this was just the times that we were in. And quite frankly, we're still in them, but like they knew that they had an opportunity to like throw a beacon out and be like, Hey, to people like me and other people that didn't know who they were and didn't have people around them. And so um, when I see something like this, where we now live in the world where, you know, Donahue was a show that was like willing to do so, like actually wanted to do things like that, like to show, um, to put a spotlight on people and not, not as like freaks as like, hey, who are you? You know, like it was actually coming from, I think, a place of compassion, at least a little bit. Whereas something like Dr. Phil is is to put people um, in, a sh in a shame seat. You know, like that is the point of that show is to shame people. Um, and so I see that and I, I'm like, hey, man, <laughs> call me. You know, like I'll, I'll go toe to toe with somebody like that, you know, and but they'll cut it up and they'll make it look terrible. But I'm just like, I mean, in some ways, it's like these things are always going to happen and they need to happen because it like spreads the word no matter what. But I just wish that we were not like trying to disprove each other's existence, you know, because um, it's a huge waste of time and energy. <laughs> so that's my moment. <laughs> yeah, I I mean, hell yeah. And I, I also wish that like more people were would say like. I will take this one and I'll take this debate and it doesn't have to just be you that's saying like, sure, like yeah, I, right. I, I just think like my like feminists need to step up generally. Like I, there's, yeah. there's not enough people on mm -hmm. um, pushing back. So yeah, thank you for that. On a positive note, what yeah. is an issue of sex or sexuality? What's a topic or, or an issue that you'd like to see portrayed or better portrayed on TV, film or in literature? I mean, I, you know, just gender in general, you know, like I think that's also something um, that this show and just like that, it's still like it. it's as though we approach it from like there's two things and now there's oh, now there's three things, you know, and the reality is like it's it's like Che Diaz is saying, there's a lot more to it, <laughs> you know? So I would love to, I mean, I, I, I made a tweet the other day, like Lena Dunham was in the cycle again and talking about like a girl's reboot or whatever. I didn't read the thing. And I just was like a girl's reboot, but it's called guys and it's all trans boys, you know, like something <laughs> like that where you like, ha it's not, you know, a paint by numbers. It's just like a bunch of people, you know? Um, and I think that stuff is happening, you know, like a show like Betty is like, Oh, this is like a lot of gender that's happening right now. And it's not the conversation every time that they're on screen. Cause why would it be? They're always on screen, you know, <laughs> or, um, what is that show? Ugh, now I can't think of what the one on, on HBO. HBO. Sort yeah. Of. yeah. Sort of. Sort of. I, I was I, just going to say sort of does such a good job. Of I think not they really making it do. the central conversation, but it still comes up because it would, <laughs> you know, it's like, it's like, no, it's, we never talk about it. You know, like that's also the, it's like everything becomes so binary of like, it's either yes or no men or women. And it's like, no, there's so much to it. Last question for you. Do you have a favorite <laughs> scene depicting sex or sexuality? I do. Do you want to know what it is? Yeah. Yes. And it just came to me today. So it like, in with a bullet, you know what I mean? And I wrote, this is how I wrote it for the notes for the show. Honestly, Tom Holland doing lip sync battle. <laughs> yes. 
Like I oh watched it again because here's why, because, I, and this is not TV film or literature, but we could stretch it to be literature that those paparazzi photos of Zendaya and, uh, or is it Zendaya? I always forget. Cause I think it's Zendaya, but only Zendaya. cause I've heard okay. him and a lot of YouTube saying okay, it great. lately. I just <laughs> never hear people say it and I always read it. And so Zendaya and Tom, those pictures of them together. I'm just like, this is, I love this. I love it so much. Like I see those photos and that reminds me of my relationship that I'm currently in. And so then I was showing my friend the like lip sync battle and I got to watch somebody watch it for the first time, which was incredible. And I highly recommend it. But like, I, that is an incredible piece of television. It's incredible. It's incredible. It's incredible. <laughs> it's one of those things. Like every time the clip comes up in my social yes. media feed, like it's I just watch the whole thing. I just yes, watch it's it. It's a blessing. You know? Why not? <laughs> Absolutely. And it's so, it's like, it's so pure, you know? Um, it's so like, just and and like her reaction to him doing it and like I don't they're just so like and then seeing those it's like a time travel thing right so like you see that thing and you're like wow this is incredible like this is hot he's like wow this is great this is doing things for me you know you're like watching this whole thing <laughs> and then forward to today those photos are out and you're like oh my god it's doing even more <laughs> you know it's like so uh, it's just so great so that's the kind of gender stuff that I'm like interested in seeing on TV, which I think is happening. Like shows like high maintenance and stuff like that are totally doing it. You know, where like we've gone from that, like, Oh, the schlubby guy that won't grow up to like the guy who is different. <laughs> you know, Like it's just sort of, we've, we're just slowly moving into like, um, did you guys ever see, uh, uh, Oh, what is it called? The long shot. Oh, oh yeah. yeah. The movie. Seth Rogen yeah, yeah, the and movie. Charlize Theron. Yep. Somebody was tweeting about how if you watch that movie as, as though it's a lesbian movie, it makes it very different. And so I did. And I was like, wow, this is incredible. <laughs> <laughs> I feel like Seth Rogen would be the first person to celebrate that. <laughs> Absolutely. I think you would totally agree. And he'd probably be like, that's kind of how I was playing it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but to, to watch the movie as a lesbian movie, meaning to imagine that he and Charlize are lesbians. Yes. And that, and, and that it's like a queer coded movie, you know, that it's like you, you can watch it through a queer lens and it, right. and it makes sense, you know? And no, really I was does. just wondering, cause another read to just hearing it's a lesbian movie is like, he's her beard and she's, oh, she's right. just yeah, unable, no, not like that. She's <laughs> no, not like that. No, like Seth badass, Rogen yeah. is a lesbian. She's a lesbian. They're lesbians together. Yeah. <laughs> I cannot think of a better way to end this conversation. Yeah. I, don't, <laughs> I don't want this conversation to end. This was so fantastic. I had a wonderful time talking amazing. to both of you. Thank you so much Thank for having so me Thank you so much. Our editor is Karen Y. Chan. Judith Walker created our logos and cover art. D.L. Dallas Engram created our theme song. And our ad music is by Siddhartha Courses. You can find DL on SoundCloud and Siddhartha on Bandcamp. You can always support the show by visiting patreon.com backslash cringe watchers. Subscribe today and get amazing perks like a shout out on the show, swag, and so much more. You can also show your love by rating and reviewing the show. And we especially appreciate when you tell a friend. Tell a friend about us. It really makes a big difference. Do not listen in isolation. Follow us at Cringe Watchers on Instagram and Twitter. And as always, thank you for cringe watching with us. <laughs> <laughs>